Oh, here we go. Oh, come on, Beth, you know the drill. I mean, we have to do it all over again. In order to get the scheduled payment, we have to complete the order. In order to complete the order, you need to come back to work. But you haven't got the money yet. And also, at this new place, yeah, we don't get mistreated like this. I'm hardly mistreating you, Sean. Look at it like a kind of chicken and an egg situation. Well, which one are we? The chicken or the egg? I frankly don't give a cluck, Beth. I just need you to come back to work. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 281 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that thinks it was nice to see Mrs. Crawshaw back walking the halls away the high this week and looking much improved from any woman's lowest day of 18 months ago when she tried to shag Daniel. I'm Gavin. And I forgot what podcast we were doing. It's this one. I kept expecting the list of list music to start. It's like, why am I not hearing music? And then you started talking and I was so confused. <laughs> Ah, and <laughs> what do you like? I can make that happen. No, it's fine. That's how it's that fine. goes. It's fine. That was some funky bass there, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it was. You're very good at writing these things. That's a hobby. I'm still exhausted from yesterday, all the drenching cornbread stuffing and, and Jack Daniels and wrapping turkeys and bacon and all the other unmentionable things we did yesterday <laughs> it's our post thanksgiving podcast folks we're a little sleepy still we are all but at least our turkey was made with no harm to any animals involved <laughs> apart from maybe a turkey and a couple of pigs turkey and a couple of pigs was that it yeah that was it i think well oh, there's, no. no there's milk in there so we may have slightly distressed a cow one distressed cow is probably better than a couple of deceased pigs and one very deceased turkey. I say this every year, but I think we excelled ourselves. <laughs> you I do thought, say this every year. I thought that was a, a really good Thanksgiving feast that we had and we were just so simpatico as we were yes. as we were making it. We yes. were you're doing this and I'm over here doing that and blah 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 and we right, crossed yeah. over and I get up each early to prepare the turkey. We get Stelly and I got the the pies and the rolls done the night before, so then I can go relax and watch the parade, and and pretend the kids are still five. Mm-hmm. What you've been doing consistently for twelve years. Well done. <laughs> and you can you know do the mash and all the uh, the monster mash with the potatoes. I got all my veg prepped. Yes. Keep on top of the the dishes and stuff. Right, and then the turkey, and then. The turkey comes out, I do the cranberry, I get the green bean casserole and the rest of the stuffing in the oven. Yes, we are explaining how you cook our Thanksgiving dinner. That, that's exactly what we're doing. I kind of feel like maybe the green beans could have stayed in the oven slightly longer because I think the recipe is more for like frozen green beans as opposed to fresh green beans. So they were still a little crunchy, but that was fine. And, you know... If that's the only thing that was just maybe kind of could have used an extra 10 minutes, 
I have no complaints. Everything was fantastic. That was very good. And it was hilarious because we say, uh, we say to the, you know, we, we eat dinner and then we go for a walk. We shout atrocities at Mark Baker's house, <laughs> which has become a tradition for some reason. And then we come, and then we come home and eat pie and play code names. Yep. And I say, it's tradition. And then I go on my Facebook memories the day after. And it really is tradition because I have like pictures from like every year mm-hmm. of us doing these things. Yep. <laughs> Which is nice. It's nice to have, you know, just family traditions in like your own house. You know, things that you do just just in your nuclear family. It's good to have things that kids can push against when they get older. Right. And roll their eyes and then have a ton of fun doing. No, but then they, they go off and they make their own traditions. Right. And then sometimes they roll their eyes, but then... Oh, I feel that you're trying to but then keep they, your claws hooked in the old the traditions but thing. Then, but then they call you, you know, when they're making their own Thanksgivings years from now to ask about how you properly wrap a turkey and make it. Right. I just realized I've got a martial lamp underneath this desk. <laughs> I vaguely remember buying that. That is a Marshall amp, sure enough. And over there is those speakers that we got when we were doing live open mics. Remember that? Oh, God, yeah. The PA system that we bought. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm grateful for that. We have a PA that. system. And no P to A to. No. Oh, well. Oh, well. Thanks, COVID. How are you? You all right? Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm really tired and I went to work today because... Oh, that's your first mistake. You know, and I was the only one there. I had the whole building to myself. You surprised? Which was nice because, like, I could choose the music and stuff. Paul was in the other building, so Paul is a trooper as well. Oh, okay. It was me and Paul, you know, in separate buildings, but still pushing forward and making auctions. Very good. Yeah. How are you? Did you enjoy your day off today? Uh, I had to catch up with a lot of this shit because <laughs> I've done nothing all week. So I had I've been writing notes pretty much all day. Oh. Anyway, and eating a moist maker sandwich. I had a moist maker this year. Yeah, I call them a pilgrim sandwich. I know, because you said that last year. Yeah, but you watch... And we'll cover this in a little bit <laughs> on uh, last year tonight. Yes, and uh, yeah, because you learned about Thanksgiving from friends. I did. <laughs> As did you. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that grateful Cory news. Platt resurrected! What? Exclamation point. Paula Lane is joining the cast of Emmerdale as a new character called Ella Forster, so David can stop crying in the streets now. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. And apparently this is... It sounds like it's a new character, but it sounds like it's going to be a long-term character. Oh. Or you know, involved in her own storylines, like right from the jump. So that is very interesting. Maybe enough to coax me back to watching Emmerdale again. Anything Although I seem possible. to have replaced my Emmerdale watching with neighbours watching. Oh. Which I've been quite enjoying in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> that and, and your your kids who ride trains on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I like watching people ride trains. <laughs> I'm fine. Hey, I relax by watching people clean rugs. 
Miles You're in Transit, fine. by the way. The Miles in Transit channel. Check it out. They're adorable. They are so cute. I was shocked a little by the nudity on the couch last week. We all may remember. Oh, yes. I kept shouting, and they're naked! <laughs> yes. But when I said, and they're naked, it was because they're sitting there naked recording a book. Right. That was really, it's like, it's really weird that, you know, they had sex, which is great. I'm glad they had sex. And then are just sitting naked on the couch recording a book. Right. Unfortunately, the 52 people who complained <laughs> to Offcam... Offcom. Offcom, whatever it is. Offcom. I, 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 I think I mix Offcom with Oxfam sometimes. I don't know why. But anyway, 52 people complained, not because it was weird they were recording a book in the nude, but because of homophobia. Really? That's the thing you complained about Coronation Street recently. Yeah. Homophobia. Ish. I wonder how those people feel about... Nina suggesting that she have sex with her b- girlfriend this weekend or this week or like kissing one another. I wonder how many Ofcom complaints that will get. None. Lesbianism's <laughs> fine, apparently. And finally, poor Tony just wants paid from Ed. More on that later. <laughs> yes, he does. But actor Sean Corneau has been making bank before joining the Cobbles. Thanks to appearances on House of the Dragon and The Witcher. So he's got that HBO Max and Netflix money coming in. Or was. The Witcher or The Witcher? The, the Witcher. Movie? The Witcher. The television show oh, no. okay. with Superman in a long blonde wig. He's gone from that to, to playing a guy that Ed owes money to in Coronation Street? Well, he was in The Witcher. He wasn't The Witcher because he oh, wasn't Superman. Okay. But he was in those shows. And also apparently... The latest iteration of Great Expectations by BBC. And it's hilarious that the article had to say the latest iteration of Great Expectations on BBC because apparently there's been a million of them. Because if there's one thing English people can't get enough of, it's Charles fucking Dickens. No, six of them getting recorded right now. I I don't know why you had to swear about that. I don't know. I don't. I, I'm. I'm not even mad at Charles Dickens. You sounded I quite, mad. I quite like Charles Dickens. My daughter is named after a Charles Dickens character. Not a nice character, but she's named after her nonetheless. Mister Bumble. <laughs> when we get the cat named Tampon, can we get a cat named Mister Bumble as well? I'm going to ask you to move on now. <laughs> and that's Corey News. Oh, that's Corey News. Well, that brings us seamlessly as ever onto our feedback section with new music called Everyone's a Critic. What? Oh, this is the Christmas on Mars music. That's actually me playing the guitar on that. Canadian Helen wrote in to say, if Audrey wants to keep busy, why doesn't she do volunteer work? Maybe to help underprivileged people. She could have a grand time with Evelyn at the charity shop. And I think that's a wonderful suggestion. I do think that's a wonderful suggestion. Audrey and Evelyn getting on each other's tits at the charity shop would be the storyline that we've been waiting for. Absolutely. Have they ever been in a scene together? They should. They're both women of a certain age. Like all those women should get Even together and do stuff. must have been to get a haircut at some point. I don't recall it though. No, because we don't really, we haven't really been getting haircut scenes very often no, anymore. No, but we did before it happened. 
Evelyn was a fairly new character at that point, wasn't yeah, she? She'd been in it for a while, a, a surprising while. Hmm. And then Noel wrote in. <laughs> My friend Noel. Your friend Noel. The secret American. He says, this is no time to argue about who's from where. Now is the time for all decent people to band together in solidarity against a common enemy, the foul and most obnoxious miscreant fuckwit, Mason. I, for one, will not rest until he is sentenced to life without hope of parole at Broadmoor. Next week, we shall continue everyone's favourite game show, Where the Hell Is He From? Thank you, No. No, the secret American. I'm, I'm just sure. gonna. I'm just gonna call him the Secret American for the rest of his oh, life. Home counties, England. That's where my money is. Secret Feedback American. is always welcome. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com or our DMs are open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee. Thanks to Jackie this week for our coffees. Thank you, Jackie. Jackie writes, I am struggling to watch Corey at the moment, so therefore can't listen to your pod. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. wait a minute. You listen to the pod. So you don't have so you to don't watch have the show. you don't have to watch the show. We watch it for you. We suffer for you. I thought you were making this very clear. Trust me. Trust me. It pains me to watch this stupid show. I don't especially want to be weeks watching like this, this shit as much as anybody. You love this shit. Shut up. Not this week, I didn't. No, well, nobody liked it this week. I'm providing the coffee so I can listen in the future and go, hey, I remember that. <laughs> or I'm just wishing you both well because I care about you deeply. That's Aww. the real reason. Thank you so much, Jackie, for your coffees. It's very much appreciated, especially if you're not watching the show at the moment. Right, yes. You are drinking ginger ale. Ginger ale, as per. Yes. And I'm drinking cranberry juice out of my Mayor McCheese glass. You have... Half a mouthful left. Yes. That's going to last you the whole show? No. That should be fun. <laughs> the Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember... Or you, remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Why do I need to remember that? I wasn't talking to you. Oh, okay. But you should probably still remember anyway. (laughs) And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Lazio tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Jordrill Bank on Legs. I have no idea. No, this was Brian complaining to Nigel about the fake ears he was being forced to wear for the play that made him look like Jordrill Bank, which is a telescope observatory in England. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. I was Gavin and you were thankful for that ass. Yes, I still am. Every year. Every year. God bless Scotland's ass. <laughs> That's a good bit of Scottish beef back there. Absolutely. Did I really say that out loud? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry that you can't be America's ass. I say this every year, but we excelled with the Thanksgiving dinner last year. We forgot the cranberries last year. This year we forgot the, the sweet corn. And the turnip was more expensive than the turkey. 
Last year. Yes. Yeah. We were watching the World Cup this time last year. The World Cup was this time last year. I know. England and the US had taken a draw, which attracted shouts of, come on, Scotland, from me in a very confused way. <laughs> homeless shoe is a helicopter homeless granddad to Eliza, and his nose is put off joint when she decides she would rather have Alia take her to school. Sam gets his moment in front of Harvey, but he's going to need to work his little socks off to get some answers from his mother's killer. Ken gives Mary some unfortunate advice in the hopes of boosting her confidence and is shocked when a familiar face is drafted in to save the day. Toya finds it hard to come to terms that Spider has been a disgusting racist all along. Jacob covers for a sick summer at the factory, but both end up facing the wrath of Carla when their arrangement is rumbled. Hope works on her celebrity status at Weddy High by signing and selling copies of her murderous father's book. Simon is alive. Tyrone's <laughs> flat packing skills have improved. And Leanne needs more than a payday alone. Our moment of the week was Sam and Harvey's meeting in the prison. And our boring moment of the week was Homeless Stew explaining casseroles to Yasmin. And that was Coronation Street. And the talk of the street, this time The bloody last call year. of him. I'm still mad at that. Man's planning casseroles. And then he quizzed Eliza on whether the casserole was too rich. What is wrong with that man? I don't know. We'll take a quick break. And we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yells, please. Ah, heavy going this week. Yeah, it, it was shit. <laughs> there was a lot of it that kind of got me angry. And stank. And I've never been so close to writing a letter to Ofcom in my life. <laughs> we'll get to that. But at least, at least, if we have anything to cling on to... Craig is no longer a detective. <laughs> oh, spoiling the best bit. <laughs> people, it's hilarious because I was reading articles where people were really confused. And it's like, there was a scene before that scene where he explained to another character what had happened. Right. <laughs> that he was shit at it, so they demoted him. The answers are there, folks. <laughs> They're always there. Hey, attention if i have to pay attention you people have to pay attention our first storyline tonight is isla be getting in the way now an awful lot of these storylines cross over with each other so i think i've probably made a bit of a dog's dinner and compiling these notes it's fine because the struggling. show was a dog's dinner on monday nina rose Addy, and amy are worried about the other night and what this dan character is going to say when he wakes up because remember amy she didn't drug him as she's careful to say later on, mm -hmm. she swapped drinks with him. Right. With one that was spiked. That he had spiked himself. Yeah, yes. but she did, she did, I guess, She did want him to, to die, him. Yes. yes. Amy is keen that they hang out, but Addy is consumed by a stock take that he's called everyone else in to help with, so he needs to go and do that. But later, Addy goes round to see Amy. After all, she's sorry that he's been dragged into this, but he's sorry that he's using her to get out of stock taking. There's a nice wee moment between the two of them that Amy goes to put the kettle on. They check their stories, but Addy suggests telling the truth, but Amy is worried about what that truth will do to her before they can further refine it, though. There's a knock at the door. Swain. <laughs> it's Swain. Auction talk. <laughs> Pleased to see that she's caught the two of them together. She's uh, she's been saved a trip. Yeah, she keeps saying that like every time she sees two people together in a in a building. Right. <laughs> like when uh Sarah and and Michael were in the factory together. 
if Swain was to knock on that office door <laughs> and come in right now, she'd say, oh, I'm glad I've been able to catch the two of you together here. <gasps> what have you done, Broom? I shall never tell. <laughs> so Swain, she's pleased to see that she's got the two of them together. She needs them both to accompany her to the station. Dan says that Amy rugged him. It's unusual that she gave that bit of information to yeah. both of them together yeah. when He's what she should have up. done is just keep them apart and then right. tell them separately. In the interview room, Amy is trying to play hardball again. Swain says that Dan says that she spiked his drink. Amy is careful to say that she didn't spike anyone's drink. And anyway, she was the one who got uh, him medical attention. Swain just can't get over the coincidence in the allegation. She gets drugged. Now she drugs someone else. Amy sticks her story. She didn't spike anyone's drink. And she decides now that she needs to speak to a solicitor. So it's Dee Dee who shows up and Amy brings her up to speed, telling her the truth, including the bit where she tied Dan up and planned to dump him in the middle of nowhere. Meanwhile, Addy's speaking to Swain. Addy asks if Dan is okay, which Swain is able to confirm. And I think this question makes her realise that Addy's a really good kid. And she warns him not to lie to her. Swain goes back to Amy. Now she wants to know why it took Addy two hours to get from the club to the hospital. Amy panics, especially when Swain mentions that she could get five years inside for this. Amy claims that she got lost, but that's not what Addy told her. He told them that they thought Dan was going to be sick, so he stopped to let him out. Swain wonders if Amy was conducting some vigilante justice here, which Didi pounces on and suggests that maybe Swain spends more time investigating Dan than harassing Amy. It's thanks to Amy, after all, that Dan is alive. And then there's a knock at the door, and the interview is suspended while Swain reads a piece of important-looking paper. Dum, dum, dum. The what? report! Remember the report! Did we ever find it? The report, I think, the report was under... stolen, Under Nick's mattress. <laughs> wasn't it? And then it was in the back of Tracy's van? What was the report for? It was it was for the structural the structural stuff factory. for the apartments, wasn't it? Oh no, no, you're right. It was, it was for the factory, the, the roof. Factory roof. Yes, that Gary has still not been brought to justice for. So why did Nick have it? I don't know. To protect Carla, maybe. Yeah, because Nick was still involved in the factory at this point. Oh God, it's so long ago. <laughs> so long ago. I think Peter has been involved and then not involved with the factory in between times, hasn't he? No. No? No. Remember, except Peter the, bought it from, except, from Nick. Except being married to Carla. Only he wasn't married to Carla at that point. No. Yeah, they were harassing one another and hated one another. Remember that? Oh, wow. So long ago. If only there was a podcast that could keep us <laughs> reminded of all these important actions. Anyway, later, Dev sees Steve and Tracy in the street and demands to know what Amy has done to get his Addy arrested. All this is news to Steve and Tracy, who don't take kindly to the insinuations that it has to be Amy's fault. <coughs> Snowball globe through the kebab window, anyone? <coughs> <coughs> so, back at the police station, Swain comes back to announce that there will be no charges brought and Amy is free to go. Dee Dee's not having this, though, and she wants the deets. So, Swain admits, off the record, that several serious allegations of sexual impropriety have come in against Dan, and now he's the subject of their investigation. She warns Amy, though, that this vigilante streak of hers ends. And ends now. now. Oh. <laughs> How that, does that happen? 
That's what happens when you hit two buttons at the same time. Oops a daisy. Swain. Swain. <laughs> or Myers. And her name is Vicky Myers. Oh, it all comes round, doesn't it? It all comes round. So Amy and Addy get home and Addy tells Tracy that they were giving witness statements to the police and they weren't in any sort of trouble. Tracy leaves for work and this allows Amy and Addy to restart that moment that they had. But when they go to kiss, Amy reacts badly and lashes out and tells Addy to get his hands off her just as Steve and Dev come in. Uh Uh-oh. Steve is furious. Yes. And he says that he just misread the signals. Amy says it was nothing and Dev drags Addy away. Amy is still distraught when she goes to Nina's Rolls to speak with Nina about it later and Nina suggests that she's been through a lot and it's going to take some time before she can be intimate with someone. Amy, though, is worried that that's never going to happen. Meanwhile, Dev has a word with Addy. Dev tells him to pause his feelings for Amy because she's been raped and it can take years for her to recover from that and he advises him to give her some space. Wise words from Dev there? I I think so. I thought so. Yeah. I mean... I was very, very worried that he was going to be kind of going down the she's damaged goods kind of line, but I don't think he was doing that. No. No, he was he was concerned about her mental health, mm-hmm. and that's nice. Yes, and it was nice to see Dev being fairly normal at that point. Yes, because because he's, later he's on not in the week, going to be normal later. Not so much. Well, is him acting normal? Is that abnormal? And when he's acting one hundred thousand percent Dev, is that the Dev normal? When he acts normal, I always just assume that he's just woken up. <laughs> So Nina and Amy's conversation has led them to uh, agreeing that Amy's going to give this another try with Addy. But when Addy comes along, he apologises and suggests that they stay mates for now. He's not ready for a relationship and he knows that she isn't. So this is for the best. And reluctantly, Amy agrees. And you know what? Everything he said there is true. Yeah. He isn't ready for a relationship. No, no. And I think it's important that he said that because everybody's like, oh, no. Amy can't be in a relationship yet. Got to give her space. Mm-hmm. Got to give the strong woman space to become a strong woman again before she can get into a relationship again. Right. And only Addie is saying, you know what? I just got dumped horribly in a relationship I shouldn't have been in in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I also need time. It's yeah. good that he said that. Yeah, he's still kind of picking up the pieces from that. He's stuck in that shitty apartment in the the precinct Mm -hmm. on his own now yeah he needs a roommate so yeah so this has all been kind of harrowing for him and and he'll mention later on his kind of litany of of failed relationships and Mm -hmm. so maybe just taking some time to think about what he wants exactly i mean i don't think anyone is of the opinion that the two of them are not going to get together at some point yes and buy a van and a dog but it's good that it's not now right yes all and it's good of the show to to acknowledge that as well, because they're not always great about no. giving characters time and space. And letting a male and a female character just be friends. Right. It's nice. On Wednesday, at Dev's, Ash is getting ready to meet up with Isla for some mentoring. Nina pretends not if to be jealous about this. that's what we're calling this. it uh-huh. these days. And changes the subject to Addy maybe asking out Amy. Asha doesn't think it has legs. Also, she'll be having dinner with Isla later, so smell you later. In Nina's roles, Amy asks Nina who the fuck Isla is, as apparently Asha <laughs> has been posting all over her social meds about this. And comes 
Addy and is awkwardly calling everyone mate, pretending that nothing is out of the ordinary. Nina asks for some company at the bistro later and both Addy and Amy agree and then Addy panics so Amy has to talk him down. Look, we can just be friends, just cool your jets. Right. Nina is surprised when Asha comes home early but it's just to pick up a laptop charger. Why does she need a laptop charger for dinner? Or is is she still being mentored at this point? I think she was still going through the mentoring thing. Nina tells her about Amy and Addy and Asha says, well, at least one of the Alahan kids is in a decent relationship. Nina snorts at this and confesses that she's genuinely jelly as fuck about Isla. Asha does her best to reassure her. She and Isla are just mates. I don't think we even know if Isla's gay or not, do we? We don't. We don't. And she promises they'll do something together soon. So, Nina and Addy and Amy show up at the bistro. Everyone's great and everyone's mates. Nina admits to being jelly of Isla and Addy is sick at the sound of Isla's name and suggests that Nina goes out with some of her mates, her mates from college thinking this would be a decent way to get Asha jelly enough to drop all this Isla business. Right, yeah. Amy suggests... Give her some FOMO. Mm. Amy suggests honest dialogue, but no one is in favour of that. Right, and Nina point Nina rightly points out that she attempted honest dialogue with Asha earlier that night, and Asha poo-pooed her. She was poo-pooed. Yes. Nina goes on, Amy and Addy talk about soulmates. Addy does believe in the concept despite getting off to some bad starts. Summer, Kelly the Chin and Courtney Boobs. Hey, there was nothing wrong with Summer or Kelly. Courtney Boobs is the only bad one. What was wrong with having Summer again? I don't know. Summer was, Summer was weird. I can't even remember. Was it to do with her diabetes or her eating disorder? Yeah, and, and preferring Aaron to Addy. Because she had something in common with him. No, not rape. Diabetes. That's right. (laughs) Kelly the Chin. Well, she had her baggage and her demons, didn't she? Right. She hadn't sorted herself out. Yeah. But they were adorable together. They were going to run away together, weren't they? They were entering a Mr. and Mrs. competition. Right. They were going to get, they were going to elope. And they were so cute together, and they bo- they lost their virginity to one another. It was so cute. You know, fair play, Addy. He's all in. Right. To hell with the consequences. Right. He's all in. It's just a shame that once he hooks up with Amy, there are no more women his age on the street. Yeah. And and unless Asha racist Kelly, unless Asha He's and <laughs> racist Kelly is a bad choice. <laughs> Unless Asha and Nina break up and he hooks up with Nina, which would be weird. Yeah, that gives her the opportunity to say, well, your sister doesn't do it like that. <laughs> oh. Stranger things have happened on this show. Remember when there was rumors that Ryan and um, and his brother, who's not really his brother. Oh, they were gay, weren't they? they were... There was a rumor that they were going to hook up. And thank God it didn't happen. Oof. Ah, some of the strange things that, thank God, never happened on the show. Yeah, enough dodgy stuff does happen. I know it. So he just has to wish that there's someone else out there for him, and he chooses to say this to Amy's face. Nina gets home a bit drunk. She drinks because she's anxious, and when she drinks, she doesn't get anxious, she says. And I think we can all relate to that, right? Asha is already there. Nina fancies snuggling up on the couch, but Asha's tired and turned off by the Rika booze, so she goes off to her bed on her own. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. 
and and Nina point blank asks for sex, and Asha says no. And somebody asks, asks for a massage, doesn't it? And that- yeah, yeah, she has the gall to say no to sex, but then asks ne- drunk Nina to give her a massage. And Nina's not in the mood for that. No, nor is she capable of that at the moment. Sex or toast, that's it. <laughs> and she has she reluctantly resorts to toast. We're not sure of Isla's orientation here. Correct. Not, and I don't think it really matters. It doesn't? I don't think it does. Because, you know, an awful lot of this is Nina and Asha problems as opposed to Nina and Asha and Isla problems. Because Asha is not taking Nina's jealousy seriously enough. Nina is not acknowledging that her jealousy is based upon very little at this point. Asha should have better work-life balance. If she's going to be spending all day with Isla on this mentoring thing, Mm. she should come home for dinner with Nina. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't be spending all your time with this other person when you are in a relationship. But at the same time, they practically live together. They do live together. They wake up together. They sleep together. They have breakfast together. Mm-hmm. You know, they argue over what show they're going to watch on TV together. So they may not be going like out together, like on dates and stuff, but they're still together. So, you know, it's kind of like, is are Nina's expectations too high? Is, is she just not wanting to really share Asha and... Is Asha, and as we talked about last week, Asha totally has a girl crush on Isla. So it doesn't matter whether or not Isla reciprocates, you know, because this is all, and as you rightly pointed out, Asha was totally like this when she and Nina first got together. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of wondering if this is more Asha being a bit, more juvenile than Nina, and cause this. But Nina is acting a bit juvenile as well. I think so too, because um, Asha's infatuation with someone new is mm-hmm. is one thing. Mm-hmm. Going on and on and on about that someone new to everyone, right? I think that's what's the kind of immature part, right? Of it, is that it's all well and good having a girl crush if that's what it mm-hmm. is or just enjoying the company of somebody different have a new mentor, and, finding, yeah. and having somebody new to have uh, conversations about different things with right. can be exhilarating um, especially at a younger age but what Nina should be able to say is do you mind if we don't talk about Isla all the time right yeah can we because please talk about I don't else? know who this person is I'm not it's fine that you've mm-hmm. got a friend it's okay for me not to be that interested in that. Right. And let's talk about something else because she's not talking about Roy 24-7. No. Or but, even Racist Kelly. Or, right. Where is Racist Kelly, by the way? She's kind of disappeared. Which I think makes it absolutely nailed on that she'll right. be in the show next week. Right. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know who's... I don't think I'm on anybody's side in this. It feels no. like it's just a spanner in the works to kind of drive these two mm-hmm. characters apart what i feel really sorry about for nina though is that when asha doesn't come home mm-hmm. nina's left with dev right right so it's like 
I'm not going to come home and you can hang out with my dad. (laughs) That doesn't seem fair. No, no. What Nina should do is move back out, go back to where she was. Well, she can't because Evelyn is still in her bedroom. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Because that's what's making it worse is the fact that she's living at Dev's Uh and is very much the odd wheel there. Right. Yeah. Whereas before... She could just go home and she could hang out. There was plenty boobs to balance things out. Right. And Neil could be doing her own thing with Mm -hmm. Roy or or with a back group or something. But when she's stuck at the Allahans and Asha's not there and Addy's not there, that's a whole lot of dev to put up with. Yeah. That's true. Oh, well... Especially when he's 1,000% dev, which he was most of this week. Yeah, you'd you'd be on the phone to somebody for an intervention or something, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd be concerned. You would. Let's move on to our next storyline, which is the the first couple of days off, not this prick again. I'm splitting this into two because I like to confuse people okay on monday sean has noticed that dylan isn't wearing his trainers and they're not in the box either he's already checked (laughs) well done sean dylan has to claim that they went missing sean thinks it must have been theft trainers don't just go missing dylan says it was probably an accident and rushes off saying that he'll sort it outside liam is walking to school with marie and gary and liam sees dylan and waves but dylan blanks him and this is noticed by gary at school, Mason continues to hassle Dylan for the money from the vapes from two weeks ago, whatever. Which I thought he'd already paid. While wearing Dylan's trainers. Yeah. Dylan warns Mason that if he continues to walk around in those, he might be in some bother soon as Sean is on the warpath and is likely to speak to Crawshaw. Is it kind of weird that they both wear the same shoe size, even though there's a foot apart? <laughs> yes. From the two of them? Someone either has very big feet or very small feet. Right. Later. Mason is back in these old ten bob sliders when Crawshaw comes to speak to Dylan about his trainers. In her lovely new bob. She's had her hair done and has put that unfortunate business with Daniel behind her. Thank God. Conchie speaks up and accuses Liam of stealing them. Excuse me, miss. Which makes Conchie a grass. Yeah. The one thing that this Mason prick goes on about all the time is hating the grass. People grassing and hating grasses. Mm -hmm. Conchie here has just grassed Liam up. Now, right. Liam didn't do it. We know that Liam didn't do it. Right. Mason did it. But right. if Conchie deliberately grasses up someone else, then for me, all rules are off now. Liam is well within his rights to grass up the actual perpetrator. But Liam doesn't. No. So he's got more no. honour than this Conchie prick. No. No. The problem with Liam is, is that he is surrounded by intelligent people who can put two and two together. And I'm sorry that I called Gary intelligent, but he is. Yes. Especially when it comes to this sort of thing. There's not many people who put two and two together here, though. Because Sean doesn't do it, and Mrs. Crawshaw doesn't do it. Right, yeah. Sean eventually will do it. We'll talk about that later. But it takes Maria and Gary talking very slowly to Sean (laughs) multiple times. Exactly. For, for for Sean to get it. But then later on, that's kind of all thrown out the window yet again when Dylan is accused of something else. More on that later. It was it was all dads all the time this week. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Lots of dads. Lots of dads. And lots of dads 
defending their kids in good and bad ways. Because we had Steve, we've already talked about. We have Dev, we've already talked about. We got the Gerster. <laughs> oh, I don't think that's going to stick. <laughs> well, I'm still workshopping it. We've got Sean. And we've got Peter. Later. Peter. Angry dads. Lots of angry dads. Lots of angry dads this week. It's the angry dad week. But let's, please, let's take mental note. Conchi's a fucking grass. And his name is Conchi. After the Lord of the Flies. Crawshaw orders Liam to open his locker. <laughs> and the shell. And is it because they just can't call a kid Piggy anymore? Sure enough. There are the trainers. <clears throat> and also, are we supposed to believe that Liam, Dylan, and Mason all wear the same shoe size? I think not. It took me a second to remember that that Liam is not Jacob? <laughs> the fuck is Jacob? Jacob but is Amy's ex. Joseph. Joseph is Chesney's boy. Okay, the other one whose name starts with J. Jake. Jake. That's the one. He turns up later on, and it always takes everybody a hot minute no, to no, remember no, who not, he is. It's not Jake. Kev's kid. Jack. Jack. Why do they all start with J? Why do they all start with J? It took me a second to remember that Liam is not Jack, because if or it had Jake. been, yeah, Jake or Zach. No, we never, we never see Zach. We never see Zach. It's fine. There's a scene later on where two children are missing and it's very concerning in another storyline, but more on that later. Oof, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> because there's no way anyone would believe that Jake stole the trainers. <laughs> what about Jack? That Wait, would, did that, I get that, that wrong? Yeah, that would be funnier if it was Jack because of him missing a leg. Right, that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. So they're... It took me a second to realize that Liam is not Jack because they're because nobody's going to believe that Jack stole the shoes. Well done. Oh my god, we got there in the end. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm going to cut any of that out. Oh no. So <laughs> So Crawshaw calls Maria in for a meeting and Liam just shrugs when asked if he stole the trainers. This is unlike Liam, Crawshaw admits, but absolutely no bells go off in her head to suggest that there might be more to this than meets the eye. Crawshaw knows like Optimus Prime who Conchie is. Knows who Mason is. Right. Knows not to trust a single word that they say. Right. Knows who Liam is. A quiet, unassuming little boy right. with a decent haircut. And doesn't find it suspicious that Conchie is the one who speaks up and says, excuse me, miss. Miss, I think they're in that locker right there, miss. C Crawshaw doesn't care. Her hair is looking on point. It is. Back home, Liam admits to stealing the trainers because he was jelly but Gary isn't buying this for a second when was he intending on wearing the trainers because he couldn't wear them at school because he'd stolen them and he couldn't wear them at home because people at home know that they're not his trainers Right. this is very good thinking by Gary see as you Gary smart guy you think someone has put him up to it or someone planted them and he reckons Mason might have had something to do with it William says he'd rather be kicked out of school than be a grass and Gary intends to do something about this Sean, who also doesn't think there's anything suspicious about Liam stealing trainers, thinks Dylan should stay away from Liam in future. Dylan goes off to speak What about Mason, who is made of red flags, Sean? Right. And has that haircut and that dopey face 
Dylan goes off to speak to Mason, who thought Liam would grass him up and doesn't seem to care if Liam gets expelled for this. No one's getting expelled for trainers, for goodness sake. Mason wanders off and runs into Gary, who channels his inner supervillain that he used to be a few years ago. He tells Mason that he knows what he's done and he knows lads like him. And unless he stays away from Liam, he's going to be seeing a lot more of Gary in future and not in such a good mood. Mason seems to piss his pants a wee bit here. Back home, Gary... This is the one mistake Gary makes this yeah, week. Cause this kind of causes dude, everything else that happens. Right, it's like, dude, you're supposed to be really street smart. You should know better than this. But you're angry, Dad, now. Mm-hmm. Back home, Gary tells Maria what happened and how he thinks that'll be the end of that. But in his room, Liam gets a voicemail from Mason calling him a dirty rat. And now it's Liam who's pushing his pants. Yeah, dirty rat. On Wednesday at school, Liam complains to Dylan about all the rap messages he's been getting from Mason and his dozy fucking group. Dylan reminds him that he has nothing to fear as he didn't grass anyone up and tells him just to block those messages. Sean is at Nina's rolls when he bumps into Which Maria. Which he doesn't do. Nope. She apologises for the business with the trainers but maintains that she doesn't think Liam is coping without his friendship with Dylan. But Sean puts the kibosh on that. He doesn't want the two of them hanging out. Maria thinks Mason is behind all of this but Sean, he don't care. Meanwhile, poor Liam is cornered in the playground by Mason and his fucking fuckwit cronies, including Dylan. Mason accuses him of grassing them up and tells him to keep his rat mouth shut, capiche? And Liam runs off, while cowardly Dylan stands and does nothing. Maria speaks to Gary later about her worries about Liam, so when George and Dylan pass by with the good news that Dylan has some shifts at the kebab shop, Gary leaps into action. He offers Dylan 20 quid to take Liam out to the movies to cheer him up, Cowardly Dylan has a tongue in his mouth after all as he snottily refuses, but thanks to George and Maria, he finally agrees and takes the money. So later, Dylan meets Liam in the precinct, apologises for the rat thing and asks to go to the cinema together, but before there's time to answer, Dylan sees the gang of fuckwits approach and tells Liam to run. Mason saw the two of them together and isn't happy about this. (sighs) At home. Sean is leaving a message for Dylan when George bumbles in and explains what happened between Dylan and Gary. Sean is so impressed, he forces George to explain all of this again multiple times. Gary said, what? What aren't you, what aren't, what aren't you telling me, George? Ah, oh, one of those few times I wish we had video. <laughs> Meanwhile, just for the record, this is the bit that was about to pick up a pencil and scribble a letter about. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Mason and his group of incel pricks pounce on Liam outside his flat, outside his home, and throw a bag of trash over him while cowardly Dylan watches on silently and then eventually joins in. Liam stands up for himself and knocks Mason's phone out of his hand as he's recording the scene, and this sends Mason into a heavily mascara rage, and he pulls out uh, one of those zombie hunter knives on Liam, who instantly tears up. Liam picks up Mason's phone and hands it back and then runs into the flats. And the bully gang all seem a little bit shook up at Mason pulling a knife, including Mason. Yeah. Right, right there, right there in the street. They're they're not being quiet about it. Nope. They're not being quiet about it at all. Those are flats occupied by people. Including Gary and Maria. Right, yes. And it's a public street where normally... There are people walking up and down all the time. Kebab guys there, usually. Why does no adult come out and stop this? Or at least see it and say something to Gary and Maria? What is going on here that 
they can do this so openly and publicly on the street. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of these Grange Hill style stories where the whole story is a teenager story or the whole story is kids at school story. Yeah, what? what who, we is, have, who is this storyline for? We have sixty characters who are. 30 and above right. whose storylines are usually of more interest to me yeah but this I show can, is f- not for kids but I can agree that uh, bullying is horrible everyone hates it mm-hmm. everyone was a bully and was bullied there's a spectrum of mm-hmm. people that you're a shit to and people have been shits back to you mm-hmm. sort of stuff and, and it's terrible and if you're you're caught in it yeah. being the bullied then it has a horrible impact on your life and and sometimes to absolutely catastrophic extents right? yes absolutely i could be argued easily into saying okay this is a, the sort of storyline that coronation street should be handling mm-hmm. where i draw the line or where i draw the line for me is the second that he pulled that knife right and the camera zoomed in on it mm-hmm. close up on the knife and it, it's one of those horrible yeah hooked uh, yeah. blades it's just there to cause as much damage as possible to right. whatever it is that you stick it into right I really don't think we needed to see that no I think it made it made a, a serious storyline uh, a little goofy just a little bit but also it it made it become something that should be in a drama or a documentary or something at a much later time at night this is not what I watched Coronation Street for. No. It made it become something very, very different. And no. I didn't I didn't appreciate it. I know that Coronation Street is a bus, it's not a taxi, it's not right. just for me and for no. what I think. But looking at that, I kinda of felt that they crossed the line a little bit. It's it's not believable that he has had this hidden in his coat pocket all this time, that he took this to school, you know, and everything. It's not a small knife. It's not an easy thing to hide. There's no scabbard for it. No, it's a six-inch blade, I think. And it gets more ridiculous later, but never mind. I, th- I actually <laughs> think it was acted really well. I mean, I've been complaining about the storyline for a while. I've been yes. complaining about Mason for a while, but yes. I thought the the rage acting there was uh, was shocking. <sighs> I, I was shocked. Yeah. And I thought Liam's reaction as he kind of cowered and cried, was mm-hmm. was exceptionally good as well from, yes. the, from the young actors. So a, a good job there. Yes. But I just, I just don't watch Coronation Street to see that. Right. I, I watch it for, for other things. Yeah. It's, it's never that. Yeah. It's never that that I'm watching Coronation Street right. for. Just this like is... it's never guns that I'm watching Coronation Street right. for. Right, yes. You're absolutely right. The, the ridiculousness of the idea of this kid lugging this zombie hunter knife around you know, as, a, as opposed to like a switchblade, something that's easy to hide. Mm. It's just, it was a poor choice. And I just, you know, like you said, it's a bus. But when the majority of the storylines this week were for, for people in their 20s and teens, it kind of makes you wonder, who is this for? Because the demographic that watches this show 
are they are they going are they trying to get teenagers to watch this show the worst thing they can do when they, the if they're trying to get teenagers to watch the show is, is appeal to teenagers like this yep. yeah because you know the main demographic of this show are people 50 and older and gay men of every age <laughs> right so and i really don't feel like this appeals to any of them especially when you consider how 1990s homophobic Mason has been mm-hmm. throughout this whole storyline. Yeah, he's a dad from uh, American Beauty, pretty much. It's it's really weird because, which we could go on a whole tangent on that, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I said it to be provocative. <laughs> you know, it. Now I can't remember what I was going to say. All right. Well, I'll just play one. Yes. So later, Sean goes round to the Rose Gold flat to shout at Gary and Maria for being nice to Dylan. Gary thinks this is all ridiculous and thinks Mason is behind it all. Sean calms down and seems to be on board a little bit with the discussion and wants to know what's to be done with this enfant terrible. Gary's still under the impression that his little talk was effective and thinks that they'll not be hearing any more about that. Privately, Jake and Liam are chatting about the knife incident. Liam regrets saying anything and just wants to drop it. Later, PC Tinker and his buddy stop Mason in the street for a stop and search. Tinker half-heartedly pats Mason down. He pats his arms. And then sends him on his way when nothing is found. Mason heads straight for Dylan's to complain about that fucking grass Liam. Turns out Dylan is looking after the knife but wants rid of it. But Mason refuses to take it back, saying that mates look out for each other. And it's bedtime at the Rose Gold Flat later when Jake admits to Liam that he called the police on Mason. Cheer says Liam, I'm going to get killed now. (laughs) And he goes to his room. And his phone is bombarded with messages calling him a rat boy. Turn off your phone! And for the second time, he cries himself to sleep. That's as far as we get with that. For now, we will come back to that a bit on Friday. Hmm. It's also strange that a storyline that seemed to be about Dylan getting bullied by this idiot has now completely done a 180 and now it's Liam getting bullied by this idiot. It's almost... And getting bullied by Dylan. Right. Let's not forget. Yes. You know, who is also kind of being bullied and, and lured down the wrong path by this idiot, mm-hmm. you know, and gaslit by this idiot. Um, But I mean, I remember when the storyline started, oh, many weeks ago. How many weeks? Well, let's not forget that Mason knocked down Eliza. Right. Yes. Which nobody and t- knows and yet. And car and... That seems to be all forgotten about now. Yeah, I'm. Sh- I f- I feel like that's going to come back up I eventually. Hope so. Is Do it you? Stu that's going to kick fuck at you, Mason? That would work. That would work. <laughs> there are lots of angry dads and grandpas <laughs> who are right. just going to form a posse right. and just destroy that kid. But when it first started, at the time, we were kind of like. Well, okay, but, you know, we don't really know Dylan either. Does this storyline work with a kid we don't care about, who we haven't seen grow up? Yeah, we didn't know if Dylan was a good kid, and from what we'd seen, he isn't. No, he's a weak kid. Yes, he's cowardly. He's a follower. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and he's cowardly. And God knows where he gets that from. <laughs> But um, with all those leadership skills Sean has, mm. but he literally wears a sweatshirt that says "pause." 
Anyway, so, you know, so for it to now be on a kid that we do know a little better. Just a little bit, but everything about Liam screams agreeable, pleasant. Right, lovely. Fly. Yep. Right, sweet Has kid. asthma. Has, <laughs> the way you said that was funny. Because <laughs> you dragged out the ass part. You had yeah. asthma instead of asthma. Was that intentional? That was more luck than good judgment. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and somebody whose who's mom we like now that she's with Gary and has something better to do than sleep with other people's husbands. You know, we like this Maria. Yep. So we like her kid. We're ambivalent about Sean. So we're ambivalent about his kid. Well, no, I, I do think that we've learned something about Dylan this week, and it's yeah. it's not positive. No, no, not at all. So it it's almost as if it feels almost as if we've been heard, but not enough because now we hate Dylan. Yeah, we'll come back to that. In the meantime, let's talk about. Do you want to bet? On Monday at the Baileys, Ed has his eyes on the Wendy house online. I thought he'd bought this bloody thing, hasn't he? I guess not. Or he's just... Yeah, because he was like, hurry up so that we can... I don't... I don't even... I'm still confused about what a Wendy house is. But, but my, my accurate description of it last week... Well, I'm just enough. confused about the Wendy part. Is it the Peter Pan Wendy? We assume so. Yeah. Ed gets ready to head off for work while Michael gets a call from someone that makes him very excited. Back home, Ed is looking at payday loans websites when Michael comes in. Ed tells him about Joel coming from Christmas uh, for Christmas dinner that we get in a, a later story. Ed tells him about Ed tells him about Joel coming from Chris. Oh fucking hell! Ed tells him about Joel coming for Christmas, which we'll learn about in a future storyline, which is. Uh, which sounds like Ed's going to be doing the cooking and then Michael announces Where is Aggie? that Grandad Sarge will be coming too and Ed shits his brakes Sarge? Sarge That's terrifying That's a nickname At the builder's yard Ed is having trouble getting paid for work done when Ronnie arrives Ed tells him about Dad coming to visit which Ronnie apparently knew about because he was going to stay with him and Debbie and they put the kibosh on that. Yeah. He leaves, which makes us wonder why he arrived in the first place. And when he's gone, Ed books a taxi to a bookmaker's in town. And Ed is about to get into the cab later to the bookies, but sees Michael and changes his mind and runs over to join him heading to Speeddal. Which is nice. On Wednesday, Ed's at Billy's continuing his work. He's got a labourer in the help, Tony. Tony! Hey! <laughs> Tony. He's an ex-con, very grateful for the chance, but curious to know when he's going to get paid. Should be a couple of days, says Ed, laying the foundation for continued money worries for Ed. And Tony. And this is confirmed when Paul tells Ed that his PIP payment is late coming through and asks for a few days' grace before paying him for his work. Ed says he can cover Tony's wages for now, so it's all okay, but he's obviously a bit worried. There's been a meeting in Nina's roles between Ed, Ronnie and the flat developer guy uh-huh. and they're kind of chased out of town by glenda and her gang so right. they rush back home ed immediately nips off for a shite and this lets ronnie who has gauged the mood of the locals tell the investor that the numbers don't add up so the investor decides to pull out to just as ed comes back from a shite wondering what the fuck is going on but not like that 
Ed, Ronnie explains to Ed that the deal wasn't great and there would have been pariahs around here for tearing down the rovers. Ed just sees a payday walking out the door and checks his wallet for Norris's credit card. Hello, he heads Ed. out, leaving a message with Tony that he'll get paid later today and we see his wallet is bursting with cash somehow. Ed meets Tony in the precinct later and between the last scene and now, all the money's gone and uh, Ed is blaming an unexpected direct debit. He promises to have the money to Tony tomorrow. Tony's uh, very accommodating here and just yeah. puts up with all this shite without right. complaint. Well, because he's an ex-con and right. Ed's the only one who will hire him. On Friday, Bernie and Paul look out of place when they turn up at the Baileys. Paul gifts Ed a bottle of rum as a thank you for doing the job and an apology for not being paid. Hey, Paul, maybe use that rum money to pay Ed some of the cash you owe him. Why would you give somebody a present that you owe money to in lieu of the money that you owe them? Because why would you give them like only like 20, 30 bucks? Of- At least it's something. Yeah, but it's not enough to really... Ed would probably hand it back to him and say, no, it's all right. Just uh, pay me when you get it. I don't think he should be handing them anything if he's not going to be paying them. Anyway, in Nina's rolls, Ed is grabbing a coffee and a sandwich when Tony arrives looking to get paid, but his card... Ed's card is his decline, so Ed says that he'll text Tony when he has the money. And Tony is still cool with us, God bless him. Ed gets home and Michael is waving about another envelope that's come in for Norris. Ed goes to snatch it from him, but Michael has already opened it, and it's a letter from the credit card company saying that the card has been frozen because of suspicious activity. Right. The fact that Norris is dead. <laughs> yes, it's suspicious And still enough. charging things. Right. Ed looks at the letter and reckons maybe someone has been... Is it dump surfing that they call it when you go through all the trash and find unopened mail and steal people's identity and stuff like that? Michael is worried about his credit rating and Ed promises to take care of it. Ed is back home saying everything has been sorted vis-a-vis the stolen card so there's no need to tell Aggie nothing. And then Ed gets a text from Tony, desperate for his money still, while while Michael talks about getting stuff in for Christmas now that Sarge will be there. And Ed looks like he just wants the earth to swallow him up whole. Like and that's as far as you get with that. With Aggie. Yes. What is this? That Aggie's not even going to be there for Christmas? Where is she? They're deciding this at the, at the end of November. I'm really, really concerned about this. Because typically when somebody is off the show for this long, we get an article or two about something else that they're doing right now. I haven't seen a single thing. Oh. Have you? No, and I mean, you could arguably think that she's doing some theatre somewhere, but like you said, they would normally trump it up. Say that there's some theatre activity yeah. or she's away doing this show, or it, it makes me, I don't want concerned. To, I don't want to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. Are, is she getting a new face? But it does kind of make me worried a bit for Lorna Laidlaw's health a little. Yeah. I hope she's okay. Right. Because it's getting to that point now where we're just kind of hoping that she's okay because we've joked about it for a while. She yeah. hasn't been seen since, I think, July. Right. It's been too long for the show not to so say something. So she's been off visiting aunts, whatever that means, for a while. And you can kind of joke about it, but now we're kind of... Yeah, they're not even giving an excuse as to why she's not there. No, it's she's not She's got really. a job, and nurses are in high demand. And if it is, if there is something health-wise, then that's absolutely between Lorna herself and the show, and it's got nothing to do with us, but no. 
I kind of wish that they would let us know so we can share our our good wishes and 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 stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's weird anyway. It is weird, and I'm kind of still struggling a little bit here with Ed and these and his movements here. He's he's got a big pile of cash one minute, it's gone the next minute. He's getting taxis to bookmakers that he's then not taken because somebody walking past has yet again right. distracted him. So, is he gambling? Was the money taken out on the credit card? It's just it's so confusing. And, yeah. And, of course, every sort of income that he's going to get, much like Sean a few years mm-hmm. ago when he became homeless, right, has to dry up and has to suddenly be delayed or backfired or that and in the sean case it was to show that you know just a few things that go wrong for you back to back can have devastating effects but here it is kind of shown us that these effects can be to push you back into gambling if you've got a problem with it but then we don't see him doing that so i'm not sure if that's what's happening or not and i don't know it all feels a bit a bit weird we don't really know what he's doing He's we, just behaving, he's been behaving shadily for like three weeks. Right. More than that. And, I mean, if he gets caught, he's going down for this. Well, yeah, now that credit card's been cancelled, that's that temptation right. gone, I guess. But but doesn't he have another one in Norris's name? I thought there were two of them. No, I thought there was just the one. Because it, He before, got more applications, but... Because before it was a red card and today it was a blue card. Like last week when we thought he was going to cut it up, it was like a red credit card. Oh no, I thought it was kind of this week. It was smoke a, blue. It was a blue credit card. No, I think it was the same one. Huh? You know, and the fact that he's talking to the guy on the phone and he's got money in his wallet, and then the next scene the money it's is gone. gone. So where's it go? And there's no explanation for that. It makes no sense. Let's move on to Carla and Simon's bright ideas. On Monday, in devs, Peter comes in and eyes up a bit, uh, a big tower of beer. <laughs> this kind of, as soon as you open the door, the first thing you see is this big pile of twelve packs. He gives it a body swerve. Sean is in and asks him if he knows what this meeting about with Carla. But Peter isn't in a chatty mood and announces that it's nothing to do with him. In the factory, Carla has called in Beth and Sean for a meeting. Carla confirms that last month's wages have been paid out, but she's going to need their help to get another big order to pay this month. Sean and Beth seem quite happy in their new roles, though, because they get paid there. Carla doesn't understand the big deal about, about getting paid. And getting paid and having moisturiser in the bathroom. But goes to get her begging shoes on anyway. Later, Sean and Beth come back. Sean agrees to return, but Beth is still happier where she is. If they really need Beth, Beth wants paying, and she manages to negotiate a special signing-on bonus, which, of course, Sean wants part of too. They want a grand each, and Carla has to agree. Now, I'm really confused here. Is Beth really that good at a sewing machine? Yes. That she's... They keep on bumming her up. She's the one that's making people's wedding dresses from scratch. She's uh, doing all that. Uh, uh, Izzy made Gemma's dress. Beth's done it before in the past as well. Yeah. But it's just, if they've gotten everyone else back, which I assumed that they had, and yet Izzy is the only one in the factory yes. most of the time, Do they re- do, is, is Beth worth a grand? And potentially pissing off the rest of the knicker people. It does. It it doesn't make sense to me that that she's, and and it doesn't make sense to me. Carla, the smart businesswoman, is negotiating with Beth, with Sean sitting right there. Mm-hmm. 
because you know what's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly what happens. Yeah, because even though she says to them, not a word to the other knicker people, or the whole thing's off. Right. You just know that that's going to never last either. And, and also, you know, now she has to pay Sean as oh, well. yes, as of well, course. Yeah. You know. Back home, Carla tells Peter that she got Sean and Beth back to work, but she doesn't say how. Simon knows that she threw money at the problem but keeps his mouth shut and Carla isn't going to mention it. There's some talk from Simon about buying a returns pallet and he wants to get Peter involved. Peter is keen. Scam! Carla not so much and worried about where the junk would go but it seems light-hearted enough at this point and on Monday I think everyone in the UK and further afield found out what a refunds pallet was. I knew. Of course you did. (laughs) I belong to a number of reseller groups and I've gotten emails offering them to me and I say no because you are a scam. Go away. <laughs> On Wednesday, in the bistro kitchen, Simon has taken delivery of his return pallet and, well, what you know, it's full of shite. But there's a box of apes in there that he might get his money back from. Later, Leanne finds Peter in the community garden looking at ads for Greek holidays. She complains to him about Simon and his stupid return pallet and the mess that he's left the bistro in. She asks him to help him shift the vape pens and, they ha- and she asks him to do it now. And so Peter agrees. In Peter's, Simon has shorted the flat out by testing some blenders that he picked up on his reject pallet. That was quite funny. Everything is worthless except for the vapes. So Peter offers to come down and go through it with him and he has a contact at the market who'll shift any old shite. After all, didn't Peter once swap an onion badgie for a motorbike? I loved that callback. <laughs> that was a great callback. Remember that storyline and how we were just so interested in seeing the detail of how, how Peter it goes makes from these one trades thing, yeah. and we never got to see it. We saw the first couple right. and then we saw the final one and right. that was it. Yeah. And then we talked about how our kid would walk up to strangers in their cars and try to do this and how... We had to put the kibosh on that because we do not we did not want our that was mr bumble that did that our 12 year old mr bumble <laughs> leaning into other people leaning into people's cars that she doesn't know call back off the week <laughs> so at the be so leanne finds peter and simon going through the pallet she checks to see how peter is doing these days he has good days and bad says peter it's weird that this is the first time she's asked him this right then get rid of that shite says leanne and that's as far as we get with that. And we will come back to the storyline uh, later when it kind of joins up with the Mason and Dylan stuff. So let's move on to Saving the Rovers 2023. <laughs> on Monday, in Nina Rolls, Ed is with Dee Dee and Joel. Joel seems to have his legs under the table with Ed now and even manages to bag himself a Christmas invite when he announces that he's going to be on his own. Right, and, and is going to buy some candied lemon and orange slices in comes ronnie for a word with ed and debbie he's got some news about the rovers refurb the property developers have been in touch and want him to do the renovation work debbie warns that this might turn the locals against them a la crosby gate yeah wait, wait, says, a wait, 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 wait a minute a la debbie gate as well debbie you weren't absolutely innocent, innocent in this whole business right it's funny that she's like people still hate me for that debbie heads into the cabin where jenny is stacking shelves Debbie grabs some interior design mags and tells Jenny about the plans for the rovers and Ronnie's possible involvement. Jenny is clearly crushed by all this, and when Debbie goes, Glenda tells Jenny that she can't sit back and take that and storms off looking like she's going to kill Ronnie. 
Yay! Glenda I mean, Jenny boo. meet up with Ronnie and they urge him to reconsider, but Ronnie says, look, if I don't do it, someone else will, and there are plenty of investors sniffing around. But he says he'll think about what he can do, which is probably nothing. On Wednesday, Tinker has been demoted back to a lowly PC. So funny. <laughs> they must know that this is funny, right? That The idea of Tinker as a CID cop is hilarious. And just... I think they figured it out. Why he got a secondment in the first place is... Right. When at first, you know, he was going to do it and then it didn't work out. And then it happened. And it didn't work out. It's like this... this All he did is turn up in a suit with a guy that didn't say a word standing behind him. And, right, a ghost. And vomited at the sight of a body. That's all he did. No wonder it didn't work out. But he says... What does he say is the reason... Oh, he says his secondment came to an end. Oh, so that was never... And, and then they just decided not to... And that's it. And that's it. It's like, and, the, and the person he's talking to, I can't even remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jenny and Ronnie. Ah. And Ronnie said something like, oh, well, you were great at it. I like seeing you in your flashy new suits. And, and he's like, tell my superintendent that. Yeah. Like, no. No. No, we're not going to tell We're not going to do that. We're just being nice. <clears throat> So Tinker's on the street talking to Jenny and Ronnie about the state of the boarded up rovers and what a shame it would be to see them turned into flats. Meanwhile, Glenda has started a protest group against the rovers' refurb and they're meeting the Nina's roles. Jenny, Maria and Brian are in attendance. Daisy comes in to announce an official-looking bloke going into the pub. The group wants to go and take direct action, but Jenny urges them to stay put. Daisy still wants to go, but with a calmer approach and to drag Maria along from a council perspective. But then in comes Debbie, shortly followed by Ronnie, Ed and the investor bloke. Traitors, says Glenda, and Ed, Ronnie and the investor bloke swiftly leave. In the cabin, the protest group are still furious about the fate of the rovers and the involvement of Ronnie and Ed and by association Debbie. But then Ronnie comes in to explain that the deal is off and the investor is pulling out. He claims this, like that. this was deliberate sabotage and says the Rovers is a cornerstone of the community and Jenny was born to be a landlady. And Debbie eats licorice. Later, Daisy finds Jenny in a morose mood looking at the pub. It's just a pub, says Jenny. Pubs are dying out. Folks are drinking at home and some folks have given up drinking altogether. A community pub is out of date. But this pub is different, says Jenny, because this pub is a pub on a soap opera. <laughs> it's a relic... But it's a beautiful sanctuary, and it is special. Let's get it back then, says Daisy. Fuck yeah, says Jenny. And she's right. She's right about this in about a lot of ways. It, yeah. The little community pubs that were around about my mum's house mm-hmm. were very different when I went back the last time. Uh-huh. They were really, really quiet, and they were shutting early, and they were yeah. opening up late. And the laws had changed, though, that if you got caught uh, or got stopped by the police... The morning after, if you had any drink in your system, then yeah. you got done for drink driving. Right. So nobody drank through the week if they had to, to drive the next day. And right. So they're really big effect on them. But a lot of these places were the places that people went when they didn't want to go home. And that's why they were so busy. Cause right. Because everybody to, to hated their wife. <laughs> or, or their own company or any manner of things. And it was a, a place to go and... and Shout at clouds, kind of thing. Right, and now now we have officials to deal with loneliness in people, because people don't have any place to go, and ha- just hang out with other people anymore. Mm-hmm. It's good 
that people aren't drinking as much mm-hmm. and avoiding their families. <laughs> yes. But also, it is kind of sad to see a way of life, a way of life go. And it's really interesting because we are, we are those people. Like, we used to go to our local, like, all the time. Multiple times a week. Yeah. You would go just to watch 1970s game shows. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd take a little stroll down to the pub at lunchtime to watch right. old game shows and chat with our neighbour across the street and right. get a burger and just hang out for an hour and then come back home. And it was a right. nice way just to relax for a, for a lunchtime break. Right, and just talk to people you wouldn't ordinarily talk to. Right. You know, and we really don't do that anymore. We do. We go to pub trivia, mm-hmm. but not there because mm-hmm. it's too small and it freaks me out. But yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's very interesting how just one sort of change for good can lead to arguably changes that are kind of ambivalent. Yeah, and I think COVID just made it worse. Yeah, and these are the sort of places that once they close down, they don't open back up again. No. Or they open up as something else. Right. You know, we've we've seen the demise of so many stores like butchers and greengrocers that you used to have on the high mm-hmm. street that have got really the high street in general isn't coming back. No. Then when pubs start closing, once they're gone, it's like, well, what do you do? Yeah. And these are all coming from initiatives that are, I guess, generally for the greater good, but the price right. of it sometimes feels a little too expensive. Then you get a town like ours that have five hair salons <laughs> right. and nothing else. And if a pub's going to close, it'll become a hair salon. That's right. Uh, on Friday, Daisy has shite ideas for the New Look Rovers, but Jenny isn't keen on phones on the tables. We've been to a place with phones on the tables. Yeah, I don't like them. <laughs> And suggests that she phones the bank instead and tries to get a loan organised. Jane thinks a microbrewery idea is still the best. And do you know, the, those microbreweries are probably the ones that are still being successful. The ones with the brew their own beers and, right. and have like artisan menus and stuff right. like that. Like Bells in um, yeah. Kalamazoo. Brian comes in and after bumping his gums about coffee and breakfast for a minute, this gives Jane the idea. They should do coffee and breakfast. Like really expensive coffee. And expensive breakfast. Right. Daisy and Jenny are chatting through their business plan and Nina's roles, which Shona overhears. Shona on Friday, I think, is the fourth person seen working at Nina's roles and reckons Roy will have plenty to say about it. Jenny says it doesn't matter as the bank have turned them down and now they have no idea who's going to buy the pup. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I don't know why we're still pretending that the, the Rovers is going to be fine. Right. <laughs> Let's... And, Let's just accept it. And it's it's kind of a bummer because it just, all of that emotional investment we had in saying goodbye to it and watching Jenny break down in tears. Mm. And at this point, wanting to go back to a place where she was assaulted and almost murdered and her stepdaughter was assaulted and where serial killers have have died where poor robert was shot outside off and still hasn't had a funeral (laughs) tinker said earlier that i've had some of the best nights of my life there well we haven't seen them 
No. And furthermore, lots of people have had the worst night of their lives there. Right. Both people, uh, uh, quite a few people have had their lives end there. Maybe, maybe it's not a, a great place after all. Where did, um, where did that other serial, that other serial killer died in the bistro, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Feeling. Feeling. Feeling groovy. Yep. I was, I was, I, I almost called him Phineas because I knew it started with a PH. <sighs> But Ferb was the English one. Not sure. So, <sighs> yeah, I'm, I, you're right. That whole. Why would you Jenny, want to go back there, Jenny? The whole Jenny, but was a, a great moment a few weeks ago. It felt manufactured at the time. It mm-hmm. felt that the, the Rovers isn't going to go anywhere. It felt like maybe the Rovers should. You know why not? Let's. Let's yeah, really do something. I was quite looking. Outrageous I was quite looking forward to seeing what this this big business who was buying it was going to do to it, right? Because it was still going to be a pub. Yeah, let's do that and then have it move back, like right, like cheers after Sam left, and, right, and then sank his boat and then came back. Let's right, let's have it different for a while just to see what it would look like, right? Because it's kind of interesting. The swag and the. TVs on the, you know, and it would turn into the bistro. That's pretty much what it would do. The bistro is not really a sports pub. I would imagine it would turn more into like a sports pub. Oh, maybe. So, like maybe the one in Ted Lasso. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Our penultimate storyline tonight is Christmas gets earlier every year. On Friday, Joel drops into Nina's roles for a word with Bernie. Because why would you not have a legal conversation with someone in a cafe? Well, Joel Uh, doesn't have an office. Yeah, but he knows where Bernie lives. And maybe he does have an office. Yeah, they're not going to build him an office. Our sentencing has come up a week on Monday. Bernie wants him to mention Paul's worsening condition, but, but Joel's already done that and says that Bernie needs to get ready for a custodial sentence. Paul and Gemma come into Nina's roles later. Bernie takes a seat with them, and while Paul mentions his new hoisty thing that's been fitted in the bathroom, Bernie is sullen, and when Gemma asks what's up, she admits that Joel reckons she's getting sent down a week on Monday, meaning that she won't be there for Christmas, and she says that she's sorry that she won't be there for Gemma and the kids, but what she's really crying for is missing Paul's last crimbo, perhaps. Yes. Chatting with Gemma later, Paul reckons that he has a solution to this, and Paul's bright idea is to have Christmas early. So Paul dresses up as Santa. Joseph is a reindeer and half of the quads are elves. Gemma is Scooby-Doo. Where are the other half of the quads? Gemma is Scooby-Doo. And they knock on Bernie's door and invite her to turkey dinner at theirs next Friday. It's Christmas and it's coming early. And we are missing two quads. And Bernie is Has anybody up. seen the other two quads? What is going on here? They couldn't bother putting all four kids in elf costumes? Who could be bothered doing that? I, I don't know that I could do one of them. You'd have to do it's, two of them to to let people know that these are the quads. Are, Otherwise, are there, it's just a random child just dressed up as an elf. Are the other two hanging out in the kebab shop with Chesney? Yes. That's exactly what's happening. Has Dev handed them a knife to cut the the, the meat off? The meat on the stick thing? The kebab? Yeah. No, the, the meat on the, the stick the, shop. The, yeah, that's the kebab. That's the Donna kebab. Yeah, that's the Donna. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what you're going to a kebab shop for, right? Well, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go in for a vape. <laughs> well, we'll get to that 
in just a second. Ah! So there we go. We've got Bernie's day. Is she going to get sent down, do you think? It's looking too like it for it to happen. But then the way it's going, we're looking for something that's going to give maximum distress to Paul. Right. Which would mean... Which would kill him faster. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I really, maybe I really she'll, hope not. Maybe she'll go down, but it's only like for a week or something, and she'll get out for good behavior. <laughs> or she'll get out just in time to watch Paul die. Mm. I don't know. The show will not leave that poor family alone. No, no. They throw... They're like a whole household of Amy's. That's right. That's the Amy house. It's because if it's not Gemma or Paul or Bernie or those kids just constantly getting dragged on this show in the worst way, it's Amy getting dragged on the show Hmm. in the worst way. It was summer for a while. Not long enough. Oh, far too long with summer. It was far too long. Yeah, there should have been passed some, out four times. There, there should have been some gaps there. Yeah, when she was kidnapped in the nursery in the big massive house, yes. with those big huge windows right in front of her. That's when I kind of tuned out of the whole. It was the windows that did it. Summer in distress, like she couldn't like wave down a car or smash the window and climb the tree right next to it. Or use the bedsheets. What's, what's this adventure somewhere that you've got in mind here? Or use the bed sheets to climb out? I suppose she was too weak because of her diabetes. You're forcing me to move on to our last storyline, <laughs> which is Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver, starring Peter De Niro. <laughs> on Friday, on the street, Dev delivers Dylan's kebab shop. Uh, what would you call it? Uniform. Uniform. It Only used, it's Kathy's. It used to be Kathy's. Dylan looks like a thunderbird in the hat, and Dev warns him not to be late for his first shift, but none of this really conveys how Dev Dev is during all this. No, he's so proud of the stupid... He's like, he's like, be careful with this, because I don't want it to end up on the dark web. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. Right. And the hat doesn't fit him, even though Kathy's head is demonstrably bigger than Dylan's. Yeah, and Dylan is not the same shape as Kathy. Well, no. At all. No. Maybe sure. the same height. That's about it. Sure enough, Dev is not two seconds off. Then Mason shows up and demands free kebabs and tells Dylan that they're going to skip school. Say no, Dylan. Yeah. Just say no. What is he going to do to you? You have his knife now. <laughs> Sean drops into his rolls and runs into Peter, and after Peter congratulates him on returning to work for no money with Beth, Sean blabs about the signing on bonus, forgetting that Carla insisted that they kept Stum. Right. So Sean gets a call from the school afterwards to tell him that Dylan is dogging it again, and Gary walks by and catches wind of this and offers to help Sean find him. Because Gary's a nice guy. Or has he just been nosy and just... I, I felt like he'd had his own ulterior motives here. Dylan, though, is in the community garden fucking around with a kebab hat with Mason and the two of them run off playing chapdoor run at the Undertaker's because they're both 10 years old. It's like, right, it's what? Like, what is... Are, did the show just say, just run around and be naughty? Because that's how it feels. Like, the show just said, all right, all right, you two. Just run around and, and do something naughty. What was chapdoor run called when you were growing up? Ding dong ditch. Ding dong ditch. Not bad. 
Chop the Run or Chappie, for short. I prefer Ding Dong Ditch. Simon is loading boxes of apes into Peter's car, and Peter is distracted about the signal on bonus thing. Well, apparently, only one of those boxes has vapes in it. I'm so confused by this. Yep. And goes off to have a word with Carla. Leaving poor Simon alone. And Mason and Dylan see Simon loading the car and being on his own, and Mason decides that they're going to nick those vapes. Mason, of course, will do the distracting. Dylan can do the nicking. How do they know that there are vapes in that box? It's just a box. It doesn't even say vapes on the side oh, of it. they see them. They see Simon handling them and stuff. At the factory, Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, drops in in a mood. The place is quiet with Sean and Beth not there, and Peter thinks that they yeah. have a nerve considering the money that's been bunged to them. Sarah and Izzy are shocked. Carla drags Peter away. Why did you deliberately throw me under the bus, she asks. He says he didn't appreciate being lied to. You're you're not part of this business, Peter. She doesn't have to tell you everything that goes on in the this factory. Is my, this is my point. This is, since when does she have to tell Peter about every business decision that she makes? I don't tell you about everything that happens at the auction house, and you don't tell me. No, just save it for the podcast. <laughs> and you don't tell me everything that goes on in your Zoom meetings about HR. No, those are very boring. <laughs> yeah. She said she didn't want to worry him with everything that's going on. He says he doesn't need protecting and reckons that she doesn't care what he thinks, like about the sailing trip. And that's what it's really about. Right, yeah. And he's been a petulant child. Yes. And it's it's disturbing. So meanwhile, Mason is distracting Simon with an impromptu puppet show while Dylan nicks a box of apes from the back of Peter's van, or the only box of apes. Right, yeah. And later, Peter comes back and Simon has to report that the box of apes is gone, duped by a weddy high kid with a puppet show, and now he's never going to make his money back, and Peter furiously drives off to find whoever did this. At the Rose Gold flat, meanwhile, Sean and Gary worry about Dylan's whereabouts. Gary thinks it'll just be playing PlayStation somewhere and says, Dads need to stick together. Like he's trying to make the moves on Sean here. Dads need to stick together. Put that on a placard. I, I, unless they're mad at one another's kids. And then and then dads don't stick together. Yesterday has been forgotten about. Sean has left a ton of messages and worries more than ever that Dylan is in with a bad lot. Peter goes to the precinct and runs into Max and Gav. Gav's there. Gav! He's vaping. Peter wants to know where he got his vape from and Gav grasses up a lad who was selling them cheap. Max says it was Dylan and his mate. So Mason and Dylan... Have we ever seen Gav vape before? I don't think so. No. Mason and Dylan are back at Eileen's when Peter starts banging the door down. He shouts that he wants his fucking vapes back and sees them through the letterbox. That was hilarious. Mason plays it cool. Here's Petey! <laughs> Petey. Mason plays it cool until Dylan tells him that Peter is a bloke that killed the serial killer. <laughs> and for some reason, this makes Mason shout abuse at Peter, who succeeds in kicking the door in. Mason does a runner. Peter grabs Dylan just as George and Eileen come in. What the hell is going on, says Eileen. I'm back from the jungle or wherever I was, and it was all for this? <laughs> this is what she comes back for? But the fact is that George and Eileen came into the house so quickly after Peter, they must have been outside watching this happen. They must have heard him, at least. They couldn't have not heard him. I don't and think they could Peter have not had, seen him. And if Peter had just waited, like, two minutes, they would have let him in. Would they? They would have, they would, they, yeah, they would. They would have let him in and, and, and figured this whole thing out without Peter having to grab Dylan. I was glad to grab Dylan. 
Give him a good shake. It didn't do any good, though. No. Well, that's why I'm not glad, because it does no good. Because Dylan denies it, but Peter has evidence from Max, he says, and he grabs uh, Dylan's bag and starts raking through it, but it comes up blank. Sean turns up with Gary, and Peter refuses to leave until he finds his vapes, but Gary talks him down. The house is calmer when Sean questions Dylan about the vapes and who was involved. He thinks Liam is bullying Dylan. Yes, Dylan. Liam. Hmm. Liam is a bully. Dylan laughs Liam. off, saying that the trainer stuff was just a joke. And Sean seems to half believe this and wonders if Mason made him dog school and sell vapes and have drunken parties. Mason always seems to be the one that's getting him involved in stuff. Dylan here says that Mason is a good lad who looks after him. And at this point, it's like any sympathy I had with Dylan kind of goes out the window. Dylan promises that he's not a thief. Sean says either way, he's going to go through his stuff. Later, Sean is mad as a sack of cats when he goes to see Peter. He's been through Dylan's stuff and there's no vapes, but Peter didn't have any right to break down their door and threaten Dylan anyway. Carla comes into this, demanding to know what's going on. Peter explains about the stolen vapes. Sean denies that again and calls Peter out of control. Sean's actually given Peter a bit of a hard time here, which yes. is completely unbelievable. Hmm. Peter promises to pay for the door, but is unrepentant. Carla begs Sean not to go to the police. Sean leaves, leaving Carla furious. This isn't normal behaviour, she says, and she demands to know what's going on. Peter says he killed somebody. Again? <laughs> what, another one, says Carla. <laughs> Peter explains how tortured he is from thoughts of killing Stephen. It's going through a loop. Uh, through every waking moment and he can't make it go away years ago he'd just get drunk and it's crossed his mind but he couldn't do that to Carla or to Simon or to his lovely transplant doctor Carla decides he needs help Peter doesn't think wait his transplant doctor was a dick there you go there you go he was me thinking that you didn't spot that Carla decides that he needs help Peter doesn't think all the talking in the world is going to help and she promises that they will get through this together and what is concerning me about this is Carla's not thinking do you know what Peter this is exactly how I felt when mm-hmm. that roof came down and right. killed Rana yeah I completely understand how you're feeling here. yeah that's what she should be thinking and she's not no and I don't know why but everybody remembers the onion bungee in the in the motorcycle but they can't remember the fact that Rana died. Crushed. Crushed. Like my hopes and dreams. <laughs> for Rana. Sending Kate to the Far East for a number of years. So, you know, some good came from it. Selfish, selfish Kate. Yeah, I know. The, the fact that Carla can empathise with mm-hmm. this and knows what sort of state she was in right. with the Rana stuff. She should be able to, I don't know, is this, is this, is it unreasonable for her to make Peter her focus at this point and getting better? And if that involves going away, then fuck the factory. Just fuck it. You wanted to get rid of it anyway. Sarah can handle it for the time being, but, but the factory is like the Rovers. It's never really going to go away. It no. keeps getting threatened, but it never goes away. Everybody on that street has owned it at one point or another, it seems. There are quite a few of them, yeah. Um, just like the Rovers. So, 
I don't know. I don't think she would be gone for long. I think she'd just drop Peter off somewhere and he'd go away in a boat. I, I can't see. It's tough because the line between helping and codependency is so thin. Mm. You know, it it is perfectly justified to say, I'm going to help you get better. We're going to get through this and I am going to jeopardize my whole life and my choices for you because that helps nobody. Mm. So, and we, and you, you know, we've had an awful lot of talk about, about Peter going away. Not once have I seen an article from Alison King saying that she's going away too. No, I don't think she is, but it, it feels from the character's point of view more than the actor's point of view that given that the aspects of their history are so in line with each other that, I, I don't know, I, I think Carla is sympathetic to a point with Peter, but it kind of feels like all this is more an inconvenience to her than anything else. And and, I, I don't, and it is. But I, I don't know that that, I don't know that their shared experiences would would leave her in that position right but she kind of feels left in that position right you know and it really feels that way in the next scene yeah so anyway it turns out that dylan had hidden the vapes in the bin and he meets up with mason later to figure out what to do next mason thinks selling the vapes at the kebab shop is the next reasonable idea again something else that he's not having to do right yeah and why is <laughs> Why does Dylan just go along with all of these harebrained schemes, which always bite him in the ass in mm-hmm. the end? Dave has shown Dylan the ropes when the first customer comes in. It's a vape customer who's uh, who comes in just as Dave goes off to take a call. Dylan sells him a vape and a Coke. Then Dave comes back and is 140% Dave when he shows Dylan how to shave the elephant's foot. Back at the factory, Carla explains to Sarah about the state Peter has been in and how he... Messed up he is since he ran Stephen down in cold blood. St- <clears throat> Sarah's sympathetic considering Stephen was her uncle. Carla doesn't know how Peter can stay here and get over what's happened. And I think he's basically saying to you that he can't. Right. Mason leaves a message with Dylan about collecting the money from the vapes later and tells him to keep the knife because he's got another one. Sit. <clears throat> Sean comes home and is happy to see that Dylan has had a successful first shift. Sean asks Dylan to be honest with him from now on and goes on off to heat up their dinner while cowardly, cowardly Dylan wonders how many different types of cowardice he's currently caught up in. And that's how we end this week's episodes. He's he, Yeah, Mason acts like it. he's doing Dylan a favour by letting him keep the knife. Right. The knife that Dylan very specifically said, you need to take this knife back, I don't want it. this offensive weapon off me because right. just possessing this can get me the jail. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what bin is he hiding this thing in that nobody else in this house? Because remember how many people live in this house? Quite a few. And nobody's whittling down any wood with that zombie hunting knife. No, no. So nobody... So there's a bin in this house that nobody but Dylan uses? The Dylan bin. The Dylan bin, where he hides his knife and his vapes. Really? Oh, I can believe that. So Just many people live in that house. Temporarily, at least, but... 
Yeah, but he's going to have to find someplace else to put it, or somebody's going to find Throw it. Throw it away. There's a, there's a bin in the Red Wreck where uh, guns get hidden. I'm thinking, I think Eileen... And cell phones. I think Eileen prefers to dispose of guns in the in the trash can that's on the Red Wreck. That's right. where Dylan should go with that. Right, and cell phones, let's not forget, get thrown in there as well. Uh, oh. I mean, I had to, to say fair play to the guy playing Mason because... He's making me hate Mason more than I ever, ever hated a guy who killed three people. I never hated Stephen as much as I hate Mason. It never, it never came close. Uh, I hate Mason so much. So very, very much. What about Griff? Oh God, I think I hate Mason more than I hate Griff. I do hate Griff though. Yes. Because we hate all racists. But I think I hate Mason more. It's just, it's, it's the complicitness now of Dylan's behaviour that is yeah. so disappointing. Right. It's so very disappointing. Because, but we saw this coming. We did. Because let's not forget, Mason said very homophobic things about Dylan's dad. Last week, I think. And Dylan said nothing. Mm-hmm. Mason said homophobic things about Liam and Dylan said nothing. Mason admitted to running Eliza down in a car <laughs> that he had stolen and Dylan said nothing. I don't really understand grass culture. I, I don't understand how reasonable people. Okay. I don't understand how reasonable white people are. So a, a group of, white people are so very opposed to grassing, especially when it comes to people getting hurt. Because when I was doing my research, you know, there was an article about somebody spray painting that somebody who testified in that uh, Ashley, I can't remember her last name, murder, you know, was a grass. And it's like, it's murder. Somebody died. It's okay to, to grass on somebody who murders people. It's fine. You know, I, 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 I 100% understand what, especially in this country, why people who are not white are hesitant to go to the police and why women of any color are hesitant to go to the police or a person of authority to, to, to tell on somebody. Totally get that because historically that doesn't end well for the person of color or the woman to go to the police. But for straight white dudes, I don't get it. And I don't get the culture around it where like even adults are like, well, I'm not a grass sort of thing. Well, the adults are products of their own childhood and the, the childhood law of the playground is that you don't tell tales. And if you tell tales and you get, you get beat up, it's the law of the playground and it's the law of the prison yard, right? You don't you don't grass anyone up. Yeah, it's you you take care of it amongst yourselves. You don't leave it with a teacher or a parent to handle. You handle it yourself. I'm not saying it's right and it's not no. and it's it's stupid and it's kind of fucked up. But that that uh, mentality is, is something that a lot of people have later in life that right. that you 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 don't you don't grass up. You don't. Tell, you don't become a telltale tip because it means that you're 
that your mommy can't knit, and it also means that your daddy can't go to sleep without his dummy tit. So, you know, <laughs> all, all those things are very important when you're growing up. But, but when it comes to, you know, knives being pulled on children, mm-hmm. you know, or theft, or, or people being harmed, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, well, Timmy tripped me on purpose, or Deborah took my trapper keeper. You know, I can kind of, to a point, understand that, you know, playground stuff. Mm-hmm. Or somebody who's a tattletale who's just always telling tales, whether they're true or not, and over like the most inane things. Right. But like the whole grass culture, which feels very much a British thing. I don't know if it's a British thing. I think, I think that mentality is very much alive in certain quarters here again prisons being yeah but like these are people these are you know lower middle class established people who are not in prison who who say things like oh i'm not a grass i'm not going to tell on something yeah you know and that's the thing that i can't i i don't i don't get i can understand in prison because well, prison is uh, well, a completely different animal. I've had a, a police officer in my mum's house asking me if I did something, uh-huh. which I didn't do. Right. And I said I didn't do, but I said that I didn't know who did it. And I very much did know who did it. <gasps> and I didn't say that I knew who did it until I was about to get arrested for that thing because the person who did it blamed me. But that's that for me is when all bets are off when the person who did it blames me then i have no problem whatsoever grassing you up because now it's either me or you yeah because you grassed me up first yep yeah what was it what did you not do i'm not at liberty to say the statute of limitations may not yet be (laughs) what it was a stolen instrument from someone's uh school bag oh okay and the police got involved well, instruments are very expensive. Yes, I didn't realise how expensive until the police came to, to my house. Right. Yeah. It's, anyway. It, it's funny that, you know, Peter didn't say, well, I'm going to call the police about these stolen vapes. See, Peter's not a grass either. Peter would right. rather deal with it himself. Right. And, uh, and, and, yet, that, and that's why Stephen's dead. Right. And yet all of those people in that room are like, we're going to call the police on you because because of this. And you'd think Peter at that point would be like, okay, fine, do that. Mm. Because you stole something, something has been stolen from me. Right. Ugh. I just hate the storyline so much. I hate that, I hate that we now so strongly dislike Dylan. And I don't think Dylan's ever coming back from this. (laughs) And it's kind of, it's kind of sad because Dylan was the thing that kind of humanized Sean and made him more than just a two-dimensional character. Because even now, if he comes out in in Liam's corner, it's too late. Yeah. Because a knife has been pulled on him. Right. He's been threatened at knife point, right. poor Liam. And Dylan joined in throwing the garbage right. at, at Liam while he was on the ground. Right. Mason handed him something to throw at him. Yeah, and he threw and he it immediately. Did. Yeah, because without, without a second thought, and through all the other things, he stood with his mouth shut, right, and let these things happen. 
interesting to note that he has no problem opening his mouth and giving some cheek back to the adults when the adults approach him about something. Right. He had no problem giving uh, Peter a mouthful. Mm-hmm. He had no problem earlier on giving his up dad from, a mouthful. Exactly. But when, it, when as soon as Mason shows up, oh, he's, he's all the cat's got his tongue. Mm-hmm. Nah, he's an absolute charlatan and a wronging. Right. And, well, and I don't think he comes back from it. He knows, like you said. Because I think he knows Peter and Sean aren't going to aren't really going to beat him up. But when Gary came up to him and said, Can I have a word? What's that about? Who you fucking talking to, you wee shit? Who the fuck do you think you are? Get your fucking arse over here. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You don't talk like that to other people's children. Other people's children don't talk to you like that. I thought that was. I thought that was absolute nonsense and I, I was like there you go mm. this is dylan showing his true colors right yeah anyway anyway that was the week that was coronation street a very disappointing week disappointing that most of it was spent with this nonsense but mm-hmm. yeah i have to ask you what was your moment of the week you know just despite kind of being part of this really disappointing storyline i kind of think it's it's peter breaking down I thought Carla. so too. I thought so too. It's been coming for a couple of weeks, but when he went for it, he really went for it. And, he really did. And it was uh it was heartbreaking. It really was. You know, because we have so many times when characters have things happen to them and then they go over them the next week or right. they go over them a week later, and we were fairly happy that, that Amy's trauma hasn't been forgotten about. Right. But, but here's Peter just killed somebody and that's not nothing. And the show recognising that the character feels that way, I thought right. was a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. And Chris Gascoigne sold it really, really well. Yes, he did. That's We're going to miss him. Yep. Moment of the week. And your boring moment of the week. God, it's so tough. It's so tough when Daniel's not there. <laughs> no Chesney either. No, because Chesney wasn't even one of the people who came to Bernie's door. No, he was looking after the other quads. We've the been other two this. quads. We can't have all four quads in the same room ever. It's sad. Is it? Is it Dee Dee's orange slices? I can't even remember what that is. Where where she says that the, these orange and lemon, these candied orange and lemon slices, are like one of her favorite things about Christmas, and you know they're getting harder and harder to find. And Joel says, "Well, I'll get them for you." And then Ed invites him to Christmas. No. <laughs> you were falling asleep while I was describing that. Don't lie. Well, is it is it Craig explaining to Ronnie why he's not a detective anymore? Or is that hilarious? Or was it Craig uh, patting down Mason? And forgetting to do his legs. Fucking that'll do it. PC Tinker being a shit PC as it was a DC. That's a boring moment of the week. What about scores out of 10 this week? Three. I'm giving it a four. Just the the Mason stuff, just far too much of it. And it was making me ache for some more Stu and Eliza stuff. <laughs> That's how bad the Mason stuff was getting. And even, and even the other stuff, you know, I, there wasn't an awful lot of adult storyline there no, this week. Not enough of it. And what there was of it, an awful lot, you know, what there was of it, which is Bernie maybe going to jail and Jenny maybe getting the pub back. 
and and Ed's confusing gambling thing, which is confusing and yeah, they're all too brief. The lines the lines don't match for that storyline. Agreed. So it just there wasn't enough for me, a grown ass woman. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Ellen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, Wendy and Noel. The Secret American. If you're a stinking grass, don't write in to tell us about it. Don't write in to us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com and don't find us at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads or Blue Sky. But you can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of woggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.